Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Amen. Well, you could go ahead and be seated. God is faithful. Amen. Hey, if I never met you before, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at New Beginnings Church, and I'm so excited to bring you the Word of God this morning. You know, this time of the year, I just believe it's so powerful. You know, we think about, we started this series, our lead pastor, Joe Soros, started a series last week, and this series was designed to start preparing our hearts for Easter, for next Sunday, for, for celebrating the resurrection, celebrating the empty tomb, and this series is designed to prepare our hearts for that. And last week... The series that we're in is called The Path, the Cross, and the Tomb. So last weekend, if you weren't here, we talked about the path, the path that Jesus had to take. And then this week, we're going to be focusing on the cross, and next week at Easter will be the tomb. Because see, we're going to be talking about the cross this week, because the cross had to happen so we could celebrate the empty tomb next weekend. Amen? The cross is such a powerful event. It's so significant. You know, the cross is what we put our hope in, what we put our faith in, what we believe in, and the empty tomb is what we believe in. It's what do we live our lives by. If you are following Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you've received him into your life as your Lord and Savior. So last weekend we asked the question, why the path? Why did Jesus have to take this path? This weekend we're going to look at why the cross. So why we're going to see why the cross had to happen. But to recap a little bit last week, if you weren't here, We dealt with that question, why the path? In other words, why did Jesus have to fulfill the path that God laid out for him to come here for us and to come here and to walk that path and to die for us and to raise again? Why did he have to take that path? And we looked at that question, and Paul, the Apostle Paul preached it very simple, and he said Jesus had to go that path that laid out for him by God as it was revealed in the Scriptures because our sins needed to be paid for. Somebody needed to die in our place. Because, see, Jesus had to take the path because sin came into the world in the garden with Adam and Eve. When they ate the apple and they brought sin here, you know, we were in right relationship with God. Sin came. So we weren't in right relationship with God anymore. Sin was here. So that's why Jesus had to come to do this path. And Paul says this so perfectly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then by the apostles. Then last of all he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Paul preached that Jesus came and he walked that path and he fulfilled what was talked about throughout the Old Testament. He laid it very clear. He said, Jesus came in the the Old Testament, which was before Jesus came, the path that was laid out for him, the path that was prophesied, that was told of what was going to happen, that God laid out, he says, Jesus fulfilled that path. So last week we started, we followed a path from Genesis chapter 3, which was in the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible, and we looked at the Garden of Eden. And we looked at, this is where sin came in. And we followed from that garden, we followed the path all the way to the New Testament when Jesus came to the Garden of Gethsemane. I got it. First time. 1030. It only takes three services. I'll get it. So we went from the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And we follow Jesus from garden to garden because in the Garden of Eden, see, that is the first promise God made because Jesus really was in the Garden of Eden. God started talking about him then in Genesis 3 because sin came in. Adam and Eve sinned, so we weren't in a right relationship with God. So God says this in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. He said he promised us that he, the Messiah, talking about Jesus, the anointed deliverer, is going to come in the future. He said he will punish the devil, the deceiver, and redeem us back to the Father. But in the process, he will be wounded. He will give his life. So God lays out the plan there. He lays out the path. And then we went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is here. He's come now. And he's in this garden. This is shortly before he was going to go to the cross. And Jesus here is 100% God, but he's 100% man. And we saw Jesus in that garden struggling with actually fulfilling this path that God laid out for him. He was literally crying. He was praying to God, God, if you could take this cup away from me. But he said, not my will be done, but yours be done. And Jesus fulfilled that path. He fulfilled that promise. Amen. So this weekend, we're going to deal with the question, why the cross? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Why did that event have to happen? And just a little bit of backstory on the cross. History tells us that the Persians actually invented crucifixion as a method of execution six centuries before Jesus even came, before the time of Jesus. But the Romans perfected it, and they used it for 500 years before being banned by Constantine, who was actually the first Roman emperor to declare Christianity legal in the early 300 A.D., and honestly, the cross was a horrible, it was a horrible way to die. It was a horrible death used for the worst of criminals, used for thieves. And to Rome and to the Romans, crucifixion or the cross was about execution, and it always ended in a humiliating, excruciating death of the victim. That was to Romans, and their natural said that's what the cross was. But to Christians, the cross to us is all about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's about where Jesus shed his blood for us. It's about where he poured out his love for us. So to us, that is what the cross is about. And I want to look at 1 Corinthians 1.18. This is Paul writing again, and he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then verse 23, it says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks' foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You know, something I've learned in my own life is there is the wisdom of the world, and there is the wisdom of God. And sometimes those go into conflict. And we see it in conflict literally at the cross, because to somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus or to the Romans, they looked at this as an excruciating death, but to Christians, they see this as a sacrifice. They see it as this is where Jesus paid the price. This is where he gave up his life for us. And, you know, something I've noticed is sometimes God works in the most powerful ways that are, that are completely opposite of human expectations. You ever notice that? You think something's supposed to go the way it does, and it doesn't. But then maybe something happens, but then you look back, and you could see God working through the whole time. God works in ways that don't line up with human expectations sometimes. Sometimes it's completely opposite. We might not see it while it's happening. We might look back and then see it. That's just how God works. Now, I want to look at another scripture because, scripture, sorry, scripture. No, it's scripture. Because the cross is also the place where Jesus ultimately showed his love. And I, I think there's no scripture that puts it better and then Romans 5. And I want to look at the Passion Translation. And it says, 
the anointed one. For when the time was right, the anointed one, Jesus, came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Now, who of us would dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? We can all understand if someone was willing to die for a truly noble person. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. That is how great the love of God is, and that's how great Jesus' love is. He died for us, it says, while we were still sinners. I don't know about you, but if somebody offends me, it's hard for me to talk to them by the next day. Right? Yeah, you guys are like, no, I'm, I forgive people so quick. Okay. <laughs> we're something we're all working on, right? But honestly, it could be hard for us to have a conversation with somebody if they do wrong to us. We might need a couple of days, or we might need a couple of years. Especially family. No, just kidding. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. He didn't say, no, 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 I'm not going to die for them until they make it right their own. Because honestly, we would still be a complete mess then. Because we are, we're going to sin. And he knew that he died for us while we were still sinners. That is how great his love is for us. So the cross was the place, when Jesus went and died, that is the place where payment was made. Say to the person next to you, it was paid for. The transaction happened at the cross. That is the place where payment was made. It's the place where the promises of God were paid for. They were verified. They were stamped. The promises of God laid out throughout the Bible were paid for at the cross. John 19, verses 28 through 30. The Apostle John says this. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing, this is as Jesus was on the cross, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it into his mouth. And then this verse is so powerful. So Jesus is on the cross, and it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his life. Jesus was on the cross, and he said, It is finished. You know, in the original translation, the Greek word for that is tello. And what that means, when he said that, it means what he was saying is he said, it's paid for. That word was the word that would be stamped on a receipt of payment. It was paid for. When he said it is finished, he was saying it is paid for. So powerful. Now, has anybody here, you ever, anybody here ever get like an invoice before? We don't look forward to those, right? You know, this is what an invoice looks like. An invoice that has all of your expenses on it. It can have everything that you owe. And then when it gets paid, it gets a stamp. It's paid. It's paid in full. What Jesus did is he has all of our invoice. All of our sins lied up. Past, present, and future. Knowing what we're going to do. All the promises of God. And then what does he do? He pays for it in full. He stamps that invoice and he says paid. He went to the cross He said, it is now, your sins are now paid in full. We just need to receive it, right? We, if somebody, we had an invoice somebody paid for in full, we wouldn't send it back, right? No. <laughs> if you would, uh, we offer a prayer. I think, no. Jesus went to the cross and paid for it in full, all of our sins, all how some of us, all of us probably, it's extremely long, paid for it in full, right? 
That is God's faithfulness. That is his love on display. That is love in action. That's not love that's just been talked about. That is love in action. He paid for it. He fulfilled the promise that God talked about, that he would send his son to die for us. You know, I've noticed in my life that it's one thing to make a promise. It's another completely different thing to fulfill that promise. I don't need hands, but who here, you promised something and you didn't fulfill that promise. It happens. You know, I remember being a kid, young, and me and my brother, we both were pretty young. I don't think either of us were working yet. And I think, I can't remember if it was Mother's Day or my mom's birthday, but we said, Mom, we're going to take you out to dinner. We're going to pay for the whole thing. And we, we didn't have a job yet, so we were saving up our money from, I was saving up, I think, my birthday money and, and um, mowing the lawn or whatever I was doing. I don't know. So we saved up our money. We had the cash, my brother and I. And before we went out, we said we had the cash. We put it on the dresser. We were so excited to take my mom out. We told her, you don't need to worry about anything. We're going to pay for this whole dinner. So we went out, and we were eating. And it was, it was an awesome time. It was a fun time together. And the bill came. And we looked at it, and we go, oh, okay. That's, that's good. We have that. So the bill came. We were looking at it. We said, Mom, you don't even need to see it. We're going to pay for it. And I looked at my brother. I said, did you bring the money? He looked at me. He said, did you bring the money? I looked at my mom. I said, do you have your wallet? <laughs> Obviously, we didn't get to pay for the debt. We paid her back, though. But she had to pay it there. So we messed up. But God's promises, he doesn't mess up. They're all yes and amen. When there's a promise from God, you can take that to the bank because he is faithful. And he showed his faithfulness by fulfilling that promise by Jesus going to the cross. Jesus fulfilled that promise at the cross. Amen? 2 Corinthians, Paul says it very clear in Corinthians 1, verses 20 to 22. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The cross points to the promise of salvation. The Holy Spirit points to the promise of we have the Holy Spirit. It says when you receive Jesus into your life, when you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what gives us power to live life here on earth. And Jesus fulfilled both of those promises at the cross. He fulfilled the promise of salvation and he fulfilled the promise to make a way for the Holy Spirit to come here when when he would go back up, when he ascended back up. And we have the Holy Spirit now so we can walk this earth with power until he comes back. So at the cross, God was saying, all the promises that I made from the beginning of time are fulfilled today. They are paid for today at the cross. Isaiah, I want to get this scripture in 35 verses 3 through 6, and this is a scripture, and it, it's, it's, this is a prophecy before Jesus came. It's talking about what was going to happen, and we see God fulfill this. It says, strengthen the weak hands and make the firm, feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come with vengeance. With recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. God is faithful. Jesus did come. He saved us. Amen. Now, I want to look this at a person quick in the Bible. that I love his story, John the Baptist. If you don't know him, John the Baptist, he was actually Jesus' cousin. 
And John the Baptist, it was prophesied that he would come and he would make a way for Jesus. And that's what he was doing. He was making a way for Jesus to come. John was baptizing people to refer repentance of their sins. And then Jesus came and he actually baptized Jesus. And if you fast forward a little bit now with John, John gets arrested and he's thrown in prison. And Jesus hasn't went to the cross and died yet. And John is in prison. And if you really look at the story, you could tell he's, he's maybe experiencing some doubt here. Because now he's in prison and he's going, it hasn't happened yet. What I was doing, it hasn't happened yet. I just want to look at this scripture. And I just want to see this because Jesus is so faithful. Jesus has so much love that he did not want to leave John disappointed while he was in prison. And I want to look at what happened. Matthew uh, chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. It says, And when John heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So John sent, he's hearing what Jesus is doing, and he sends his disciples to Jesus. And said, and they went and said to him, Jesus, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? So John, you can see he's wondering now. He's, is this, was this true? Is this really happening? And Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John might have thought it went what it was supposed to go a completely different way. And oftentimes, I don't know about you, but in life, when something doesn't go the way we expected it or something happens that we didn't expect, we could start wondering. Maybe we thought our whole lives were going to work out in this one way, and it doesn't in that specific way that we imagined it. And we start thinking, what am I even doing? Is my life worth it? Did I make a mistake? Did I make a wrong decision? Right? And we can't see. But here's the thing, and this was something God put on my heart a couple nights ago. I remember waking up, and I was just thinking, and God put this on my heart. I like to read books, so I was thinking about it in a book form. If you don't, if you don't read, you, it's even, you can relate it to a TV show or a movie. But in a book, there's obviously a plot in a book. There's characters in a book, right? Now, we all could see it completely differently. I could read a book, and Pastor Beth could read a book, and I could see a character as insignificant, and she could see that character as very significant. Now, I've read a book before, and sometimes I see a character, and that character dies, and I'm like, they had no big part of the story. Who cares? I'm not horrible. It's a book. And I'm like, whatever, or our plot happens, and I go, I don't understand why they would do the plot that way. That doesn't make sense, right, because we, we know it all. So I'm starting to th- I think that. Maybe it's in a TV show or a movie for you. And God was showing me, though, you know, I've seen this happen in books, and then I would read an, an interview with the author, or I would watch an interview with the author for a character that I thought wasn't significant. He was like, no, he played such a crucial role. He had to do that so the whole plot could go this way. Or a plot line that I didn't understand, he'd be like, that had to happen. It was very significant to him. Well, the author knows because he wrote the book. God is the author. God is our creator. He is writing our book. So I want to encourage you with this. Maybe in your life right now, things don't make sense, but there is a purpose. God works all things to good. Amen? You might not see it right now. You might be doubting, but God is faithful. You might, not, you might be doubting, why am I at this job right now? There is a reason. God is faithful. He has a purpose for you. Amen? He could see it. He is the author of our lives. You know, Jesus, pretty much what he was telling them to say to John the Baptist was this. He was telling them to say to John, John, you didn't miss it. You think you didn't miss it because I am the one. Your life was not in vain, John. You were faithful to the purpose God laid out for you. So why the cross? Going back to it, the cross had to happen. Well, why? Because it is the place where all the curse brought by sin from Genesis, all the curse was paid for. All the curse was broken at the cross. Isaiah 
53. Now this, again, was before Jesus came. This was prophesied about what was going to happen. This was what God fulfilled through Jesus. And this is actually talking about Jesus. It says, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we did not esteem him, esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Our sin had to fall on him so his blessing could fall on us. And God fulfilled that promise. Jesus fulfilled that promise. Our sin fell on him so his blessing could fall on us. And not only did Jesus go to the cross for our sins, and he did to save us for our sins, for our salvation, but because he is love, he also took upon himself the results of every sin. Sickness, disease, whatever it may be, he took upon him all of our sins. All of the sins that came to the earth, he broke them at the cross. Now, that's why it says, by his stripes, we are healed. Now, to some people, and maybe to just the natural eye, the path may not make sense. Maybe the cross doesn't make sense. Why did Jesus, the only person who did not sin, have to die like that? It might not make sense to us, but most time, God's plan doesn't make sense, but it always gets results. Amen? The plan might not have made sense, but it got results. It didn't, think about it, it didn't make sense for a young shepherd boy, David, to run onto the battlefield to fight Goliath, right? Naturally, he didn't. Goliath is way bigger than him, weighs a lot more. Goliath is a trained fighter. Goliath has armor on. He has a huge sword. It, doesn't, it didn't make sense for most people that David would run onto the battlefield to challenge him. It made even least sense that he ran onto the battlefield with five stones and a, a homemade slingshot. Right? It doesn't make sense. I wouldn't do it. It, doesn't, it didn't make sense, but what happened? David got results. David took that slingshot, flung that slingshot at Goliath. Goliath fell. And then David went up to Goliath. He fell over and he ran off and he cut the giant's head off with his own sword. With, the, with Goliath's own sword, David cut his head off. Might not make sense naturally, but he got results. <laughs> you know, I know in my life sometimes things happen doesn't make sense. I remember one time I was at one of the best places there is. I had to get my car inspected couple years ago. And I go there, and I went there. It was, in, it was in August, so it was really hot out. And it was the last day of the month. And just some advice, do not get your car inspected on the last day of the month, because everybody goes the last day of the month. So I remember I was waiting in line probably, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes. And I finally pull up. You know, you're going through the line. I pull up into the inspection place. And I have my car there, and I'm just like, finally, I'm in here. Awesome. We're almost done. So I, I turn, you know, the guy says, can you turn your car off? Give me your license. Give me your insurance, whatever it may be. So I said, okay. So I turn my car off. I give him everything he needs. I get out of the car. I go to the waiting place. He goes in the car. He goes to start the car. The car doesn't start. So obviously I failed. Inspection. Now the best thing is they can't help you either. So I had to push my car out. And there's a huge line behind me. So I'm just like, what a day. This is so much fun. I push my car out, and I know nothing about cars. I don't know anything. Like me and my eight-month-old daughter, we're probably on the same page when it comes to knowing about cars. The only difference is I know how to drive. She doesn't. Other than that, we probably know exactly the same. So I call my one friend. 
I said, hey, I think my car just died. It must have been because it's, it's hot out, the heat. I said, can you come help me? He said, sure. He, so he comes, and we go to jumpstart my car. It doesn't start. So I said to him, Mama, what do you think it could be? He goes, I don't know anything about cars. I was like, I called the wrong person. So I called my other friend, who I should have called first because I know he knew something about cars. I said, can you come help? He said, sure. I said, we tried to jump, but it didn't work. So he comes, and he's like, let's just try to jump it again, and it, it doesn't work. And he goes, okay, I'll be right back. I think I, I have an idea. I said, okay. He goes to his car. He walks out of his car with a hammer. So I'm like, okay. But my, I'm like, the car's not working anyway. So we have, you know, whatever at this point. Do what you got to do. I don't know. So he walks over, and the hood's up. I think it was a starter. I can't remember what he hit. He just hit something with the hammer, and the car started. It didn't make sense to me, but it got results. He knew what he was doing. He just hit something, and it started. I would never even have took a hammer. I didn't know what he was going to do. He hit it, and it started. It didn't make sense, but it got results. Sometimes in our lives, it might not make sense, but there is a purpose there for it to get results. Again, it might not make sense why you're at the job you are right now to you, but there's results to be got there. There's a purpose. There might not make sense why you live on the certain block you live on. There's people to reach. It might not make sense to you that you are home, you're raising your kids right now, and it seems like they're getting crazier by the day, but you have a purpose. There's results. They're going to be young women and men of God. Amen? It might not make sense, but sometimes it doesn't need to make sense. We just need to trust God. Because David, it... Naturally, it might not have made sense to him when God told him, go fight Goliath. But what was he? He knew God was faithful. He took small, obedient steps. That's what it's about. You don't need to know the beginning to the end. We need to be obedient to God. God's plan always, his promises always get results. It doesn't need to make sense. And I don't know about you, I take comfort in that. Because if, if, if I, everything that I did in my life, if it needed to make complete sense, I would probably do nothing. Because I would always find a reason to doubt it. Or I would always find a reason to question it. It doesn't need to make sense. You know, it didn't make sense for Jesus, the prince of life, to suffer death. He was the only person that didn't, that didn't sin. It really didn't make sense. But he had to do it. And even Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples about it, a lot of them couldn't even wrap their head around it. It didn't make sense to them. They doubted it sometimes. They didn't even believe him. But like David running to the battlefield, Jesus set his focus upon the cross while he was here. David did it to be obedient to God, but David also did it for a natural reward. He asked the question, what shall be done for the one who kills this giant? Jesus did it, though, for a supernatural, everlasting reward. Jesus did it because he knew what he would set in motion. I want to look at, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And Paul says this, he says, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, I love this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. Who was that joy? You were that joy. I was that joy. Jesus knew what he was going to have to endure, but he actually even had joy in it because he knew who he was doing it for. He knew what it would set in motion, that we would be able to be in right relationship with God the Father. That's how much love he is. That's who he is. Philippians, I want to look at this, chapter 2, verse 6 through 11 in the Passion, because this just, this scripture is extremely powerful too. Talking about Jesus, he says, He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. 
He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He has now been given the greatest of all names. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to this name in the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honor to God the Father. Amen. That's going to happen. Amen. Yeah, you give God some praise because that's going to happen. He's going to come back. But that scripture I love so much because I imagine being in Jesus' shoes because I hope we could get this. Jesus just didn't start existing when he came here on earth. He existed from the beginning. He was with God in heaven. So imagine me, Jesus, in the most perfect place with his Father in heaven, and then also God willingly to send Jesus and Jesus to come here on this earth, to walk this earth with us, and then to go to the cross, to endure our pain, to die for us. He only could do that because of love, love in action. That's how, to me, that speaks so much of his love to me. Like David, though, Jesus took on a battle that maybe in the natural made no sense. You know, I want to look at the scripture in Samuel because the people listening to David must have laughed at him when they saw him run and then challenged Goliath. And when he said these words in 1 Samuel 17, 46, this is David speaking. He says, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. He's talking to, to Goliath. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds or the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. They probably looked at him and were just like, okay. They probably didn't believe what he was saying there when he ran and said it, right? They probably didn't get it. Who is this shepherd boy running and saying this to Goliath? But it got results. And the disciples honestly thought Jesus was crazy when he spoke about the plan of God as well. In Luke, I want to look at chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. It says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. He's talking about what is going to happen to himself. On the third day, he will rise again. And then in 18, Luke 18, 34, it says the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. They didn't even understand it, what he was talking about. They kind of didn't even believe it. Jesus is literally saying, this is what's going to happen. He's laying it out for him, them. They didn't believe him, but he got results. We know he did because we know the cross happened. David had to defeat Goliath because Goliath threatened Israel with slavery. Jesus had to defeat Satan because he enslaved mankind with sin. That's why Jesus had to come to defeat Satan. That's why he had to come to the cross to defeat him because he enslaved mankind with sin. And this is so cool because just like David defeated Goliath with his own weapon, Jesus defeated Satan with his own weapon. David went and grabbed Goliath's sword and cut off his head. Jesus defeated death with death. He defeated Satan with his own weapon. He destroyed death with death. And now Jesus stands for eternity as our champion, our giant killer. Jesus was the only one that brought life out of death. He brought life out of death. He defeated death. 
with his own death, and he brought life out of it for us. You know, I haven't shared this story with many people, but this illustrates to me personally so clearly about Jesus defeating death. You know, I got saved in, would mean I started following Jesus. I surrendered my life to him in August 2012. And then I started telling my family shortly after about Jesus and about the gospel and telling them about it. And my mom received Jesus as her savior. And then just about a year, year and a half after, we found out that my mom was sick with cancer. She probably was sick for a while because it already was stage four. It was all throughout her body. And it happened so quick. And towards the end, she struggled a lot with being able to kind of do things on her own. She lost a lot of weight to, to, go, to go to the bathroom. She'd need help getting there. And one night, I remember we were both we were laying there, and she said, Matt, she said, I have to go to the bathroom. Can you help me get there? I'm feeling pretty weak. I said, of, of course, Mom. So I helped walk her to the bathroom. And we're in the bathroom, and she looks at me. And I've never seen my mom smile like this in her life, even before she was saved and even after she was saved. And even in this condition, she had this huge smile on her face. And she said, Matt, she said, I had to go to the bathroom earlier today, but nobody was here. She said, I was able to. She said, I felt like Jesus was lifting me up. And then she said something that I don't even know if she realized she said it. She said, I'm not scared because I know this isn't the end. Jesus defeated death with death. He brought life out of death. That is what the cross was about. Why did he go to the cross? He went out of love. He went for you. He went for me. Because he wants us to live an everlasting life with him and God the Father in heaven. That's why he had to come here, so he could make us right with God, so he could destroy sin, so he could destroy death. He did it for us. Jesus brought everything to the cross for us. He brought our fear to the cross. He brought our anger to the cross. He brought our addictions to the cross, our anxiety to the cross, and he paid for it all in full with his life. You know, we looked at that scripture in Isaiah, and that was before Jesus came, and it was talking about the, the, the transaction that was going to happen at the cross, where he says, we are healed. And then if you look in First Peter after Jesus came, it says, we were healed. It was pointing back to the cross, because they both point back to the cross, because that's where the transaction was made. That's where it was paid in full. So my question to us here this morning is, what side of the transaction are we living on? If you're struggling with fear, Jesus paid for it in full. If you're struggling with depression, he paid for it in full. If you're struggling with sin, he paid for it past, present, and future in full. If you need joy, it's paid for already at the cross. It's a transaction that happened, but it's something we need to receive. And it's not what we need to do because he already did it. It is already paid in full. There is nothing we can do. He did it. There was this quote on Facebook that was extremely powerful. And it said this. I want to read this. It says, love is when a man wipes away your tears even after you left him hanging on the cross for your sins. You want to talk about the love of Jesus. So my question now this morning is this. Have you received that transaction that happened for salvation? Have you received the price Jesus paid in your life? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? And again, it's not about what you do. It's about what he did. But you need to receive it. You need to accept that. You need to believe in that. That's what the cross was all about. He came to the cross and he died for us so we could have everlasting life. He shed his blood so our sins could be forgiven. It's already done. 
It's not an event that's going to come happen. It's an event that happened. So what I want to do this morning is this. I want to do what the Apostle Paul in Romans laid out for us. He was talking about this payment. And he said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus went to the cross on your behalf and died for you and rose again, he said, if you believe that, and then he says, you confess that. If you pray that, it says, what happens? You are saved. You are a new person. You're in everlasting life with God. If you took your last breath, you would be in heaven with him because of that transaction, because of what his son did. So what I want to do is this. Let's all bow our head and shut our eyes. And I want to pray this all together. But if you are praying this prayer, what we call a salvation prayer for the first time. Maybe this morning is the first time you're going to say, you know what, I've, 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 maybe I've doubted it, but now I believe it. Or maybe I've believed it, but I've never accepted what he did. When you pray this prayer, if you pray it and you believe it, it says you are saved. You are a new person. It says you are sealed with God's Holy Spirit inside of you. And you are forever in right relationship with God. And you can have peace in that. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray this with me. Father God, I believe you sent Jesus to the cross for me to pay for my sins, to die for me. I believe Jesus rose again. I believe he defeated death and paid for my sins in full. I repent of my old ways. I want a new life with Christ. So Jesus... Come into my heart. I receive you as my Savior. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Amen. amen. Let's give it for people that prayed that prayer. Your new life has begun. And when we are dismissed, please don't just leave here. Come up and tell one of our prayer workers, I prayed that salvation prayer because this is the beginning of your journey. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you resources. We want to help you along this journey because you literally have a new life in Christ. You have promises from God that you need to know. Amen. Because God's, all of God's promises are yes and amen. Jesus paid that price for him. So let's honor him with our life. Amen. If you need prayer for anything else, please come up. Don't forget, make sure you're here next weekend and invite somebody. It can completely change their life. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.